This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Back once again, going to be joined in a moment by my co-host, Brian Solomon, for uh, what is sure to be a big discussion about um, a topic we don't discuss here too much, and that's Ring of Honor. Unfortunately, it's for all the wrong reasons with uh, the news coming out uh, just earlier this week of some major changes coming to Ring of Honor some people think this might be spelling uh, the end for the company that is turning uh, 20 uh, next year. Maybe that's premature, but to say the least, uh, they seem to be uh, facing some tough times ahead. We will get into all of it. Uh, also, uh, later in this episode, we're going to feature an interview from the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which I'm going to tell you about in just a moment. Uh, our very own Chris Nashley. Uh, talk to Renee Paquette, the former Renee Young from WWE, Mrs. John Moxley. It's featured in the latest uh, PWI, which is uh, our special women in wrestling uh, issue. It features the women's 150 and this conversation that uh, Kristen had with uh, Renee. I know this was kind of a dream conversation, dream interview uh, for her, and uh, you'll absolutely want to check it out. Uh, we're going to reconvene, uh, hopefully, with Kristen and some other writers uh, soon to talk about the women's 150 list we were hoping to put it together in time for this episode but there have been uh, some schedule conflicts so uh, we'll give you kind of the spoiler free uh, review of the issue in just a moment uh, but stay tuned to hear from her uh, let me go ahead and tell you about the latest issue of pwi uh, as i mentioned it is our women in wrestling issue it's available right now uh, for digital download at pwi-online.com. Uh, it began as our uh, female 50, I believe. Uh, we expanded a few years ago to the women's 100, and now we're up to the women's 150. And uh, even then, uh, unfortunately, there is a ton of talented women who uh, are uh, left off the list. Uh, it's just the nature of the, the growing landscape of women's wrestling. Uh, throughout the world. Uh, but uh, check it out. I had a hand in putting this together. A, a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, 150 profiles uh, for uh, the best uh, female wrestlers in the sport. Um, and a lot more in this issue. Uh, like I said, uh, Kristen's interview with uh, Renee Paquette in the hot seat. Uh, we've got a special coverage of NWA's Empower Women's Pay-Per-View. And a lot more uh, in the issue. Also, our uh, awards ballot for the uh, 2021 Achievement Awards. Uh, so if nothing else, you definitely want to get that. Uh, so, uh, again, go to pwi-online.com and pick it up. Um, we, we've got this, uh, what's become a trilogy of uh, ranking issues here late in the year. Uh, we just came off of the 30th anniversary of, uh, I always get that one confused, whether it's a 30th issue of the 30th anniversary. It's the 30th anniversary of the PWI 500. Uh, here we are back with the Women's 150, and uh, we're getting to work now on the second annual Tag Team 50. Uh, you don't want to miss any of these, so the thing to do is, of course, to go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Whether you subscribe to the digital edition or the print edition, you'll get big savings off of the cover price. Uh, I should mention uh, completely reconfigured PWI 
uh, website at pwi-online.com. A lot more user-friendly, a lot more to do here. And uh, most importantly, it's where you can go and pick up the issue. So uh, go do that right now. Uh, and uh, while you're there, uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to the podcast uh, there. Uh, we, I don't know that I mentioned it here, but uh, we know we have kind of a family of podcasts. In, in addition of the PWI uh, podcast, we've got uh, Pro Wrestling Indistrated, which is kind of a complimentary, uh, it complements the podcast, uh, talking more about uh, indie wrestling. And uh, you definitely want to check that out. Well, we've got the, the PWI blog uh, up and running uh, again. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to the completely free uh, PWI uh, weekly newsletter. Uh, comes to your uh, email each week and uh, so much more. And it's all av- available at pwi-online.com. I think there's also links there to pick up the T-shirt, uh, the line of T-shirts, now that we're getting to the holiday season, uh, the perfect gift for the wrestling fan in your life, the PWI T-shirt. Available at ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, I think we still have some shirts over at WhatAManeuver.net. You can also pick up back issues on the website. That's something we don't mention uh, too much here. So uh, definitely go and check out PWI-Online.com. Uh, also find us on uh, social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at OfficialPWI. And uh, find us on YouTube where we have a lot of uh, exclusive interviews there as well. All right. Uh, joined now by my co-host, Brian Salmon. How's it going? Going very well, Al. How about you? Other than the bad news. Yeah, certainly not going well for uh, folks over at Ring of Honor. Uh, so, so let's just jump into it. So on Wednesday, uh, they put out the uh, message. Uh, and I won't read the whole message, but in short, they sort of acknowledged that they've had some financial challenges uh, during the pandemic. Uh, they say essentially after final battle in December, they're going to shut down. They're going to go dark for some period. They expect to be back, uh, I believe they said in April uh with a more fan-friendly experience uh sort of separately from this it was reported i think the wrestling observer was um the the first to report i'm I'm not sure if this was acknowledged in that message but basically the the news was that everybody who was under contract uh with ring of honor uh was released so uh obviously this is this is not good news a lot of people are um taking this to be the the beginning of the end they're trying to give some some uh, glimmer of hope and optimism with this talk of uh, reimagining Ring of Honor coming back in April. But I think you and I have both heard uh, things like this uh, in the past, whether it was uh, I remember when ECW right toward the end went dark for a long time, then came back with a, a one off show. And um, Paul Heyman was making all kinds of promises about how they were going to retool. We heard some similar stuff in, in the dying days. Uh, of WCW. Yeah, it doesn't look good. You know, they would have reached their, their 20th anniversary next year. I guess they still will, technically, if, if they do end up putting on um, at least a show or two uh, next year. Uh, again, I think what Dave Meltzer is reporting is that the idea is essentially to continue running shows without contracted talent. So essentially be kind of an independent that brings in uh, some guys, maybe I would assume uh, wrestlers that fans are already familiar with, maybe much of their same roster, but kind of on a per night basis versus uh, being under contract. Uh, I've got a lot to say about this. You know, for for a a while in its formative days, I was sort of the Ring of Honor guy for Pro Wrestling Illustrated and uh, as such became a really big fan uh, of their product. Used to go to all their shows, write most of the stories in in our magazines about uh, Ring of Honor, got some good relationships with folks at, at Ring of Honor. Um, and so, yeah, this really sort of breaks my heart. The thought that they, they might go away. Uh, but 
the other reality is I don't watch them that closely uh, these days and haven't for some time. So to some extent, take all my analysis with uh, a grain of salt because I might not be as dialed into the product as some others. But I think that's also kind of the problem, right? I mean, I think I'm probably pretty typical of, of what the lapsed Ring of Honor fan uh, was. And uh, I will get more into it, but I think part of the, the problem, probably the biggest uh, thing is that they've kind of lost their their place, you know, um, for th- they helped pioneer um, a wrestling style that at a time back again in their early days really made them this revolutionary product and uh, almost became a victim of their own success because that style has been co-opted so often now and it's not that they just invented um the style but they really kind of gave it a platform uh and and now it's been sort of co-opted with bigger names and bigger productions and bigger budgets um whether we're talking you know it, it's all over the place but AEW is, is the real obvious one uh and so you know ring of honor i think it's really struggled to remain relevant in the last several years and uh yeah i guess that that so in, in that sense this is not unexpected, but but still, it was kind of a, a surprise in, in as much as you could have both. What was your reaction to the news? Well, I mean, I'm I'm trying not to be as overly pessimistic as a lot of people have been, because it seems like the general consensus is that they're totally done. And I, I, I know where you're coming from, and, and that, that seems to be very likely. But I'm trying to at least give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll try and reinvent themselves like they say they will. Of course, um, letting everybody go is not a good sign. Uh, certainly not a good sign. But um, if it is the end, then I mean, it, it, it was an incredible run that they they really did kind of change, um, especially within the business, the style of working. Like I remember, you know, one of the things that you were saying about how they outgrew their own, you know, sort of like place in the business. When they first came into being in 2002, I remember I, I was at WWE and they had just put their competition out of business and they were kind of the only show in town. And then all of a sudden you had two companies popping up and the other one was TNA, of course, but they were both so different, you know, like TNA had the vibe of whether fairly or not, they had the vibe of being like trying to become maybe the next WCW, trying to um, have all the WWE castoffs and that sort of thing. And whereas Ring of Honor was more like people know it to be, you know, this this kind of intense indie style sports based presentation going in a completely different direction, you know, and they presented an alternative at that time. And the landscape was very, very different in 2002 because they really were an alternative. And that's changed over time. Like a lot of people have said, um, they're not as they, they don't hold the same place that they used to. And they haven't for a long time. Interestingly enough, one of the reasons for that, I think not the only reason, but a big reason is NXT, you know, yeah, NXT absolutely. became WWE's version of ring of honor. And I don't think that was an accident. And it's funny to me when I when I hear about, you know, we're going to make this a more fan friendly experience. Um, I mean, if 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 that's legit and not just, you know, something to kind of like soften the blow, it almost makes me wonder if this is a reaction to them seeing what WWE did with NXT. It's interesting. Is there an opening there now to kind of, you know, take a little bit of, of that that spot back? Because you're right. I mean, maybe more than any other brand. 
NXT became uh, kind of the new Ring of Honor, even with a lot of the same cast members, right? Because that was the migration. Folks would come from Ring of Honor over to NXT and then maybe or maybe not graduate into the main brand. But that really, if you look at, you know, who were the stars in NXT in the last several years, it was a lot of former Ring of Honor talent. Right. I mean, they that's the other way that they changed the business. It's not just the style. If you look back over the past 20 years at the, you know, the major major league stars that have come through the business, um, that was the proving ground. It really was. And I mean, like especially for for fans that may not know that for younger fans or fans that, you know, really just followed the, the, the WWE or, you know, the major companies to learn that all these guys they love, you know, Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and just the list goes on and on and on and Kevin Owens, that all these guys really got their first kind of glimpse of stardom in Ring of Honor. Yeah, and and still the case, you know, Adam Cole, Sami Zayn, uh, Roderick Strong, a lot of these guys being featured um, all over, whether it's AEW, WWE's main roster or NXT. WWE did a, a, a documentary on this on the network um, a couple of years ago uh, where they they collaborated with the Ring of Honor. And it was pretty well done. And, and they talked about that. And I think that's another way that things have really changed in the last couple of years. As you touched on that, that was the proving ground. That was sort of the path. Right. So if you were an independent wrestler with uh, some buzz on you, uh, you know, a hot prospect, the idea was you get into Ring of Honor. Right. And um, you get some eyes on you and you, you build on that buzz. And then uh, presumably you work your way to NXT and then to WWE. Now, uh, a few things happened. Uh, for one thing, in the last couple of years since the, the birth of AEW, the, the definition of the major leagues has completely changed. Where it's not just WWE. Uh, you've got this other major league brand. And what's more, it's a major league brand. That is sort of a better fit for for that kind of wrestler than WWE was, because uh, as much as you saw a lot of that talent going into NXT, which was the developmental for WWE, a lot of guys weren't coming out of NXT. Right. And and that spoke to some of the biases that that, that Vince McMahon and the WWE um, main roster had. And they were a better fit for AEW. You see, you see, I mean, just look at Adam Cole and the difference between how he was booked in, in uh, NXT versus how he is in, in AEW. Um, so really, it almost became this kind of unnecessary step because you could go right to NXT or you could go right to AEW. Um, and so Ring of Honor had to kind of pivot. And over the last few years, you know, they, they there were still tons of talented wrestlers there. It's not to say otherwise, but they stopped being the place where uh, the, the future stars were. They started looking a lot more in-house. They created their own farm system. And again, there's there's a range of talent in there. I think it's fair to say that it's been a while since you saw that uh, wealth of that abundance of guys who who you thought, wow, if they could just get a look from somebody in the major leagues, these guys would be huge stars. There were some guys like that in there. Um, you know, I'd say even the the guys with sort of the most upside in Ring of Honor over the last few years uh, wouldn't wouldn't um, have come to the level of some mid-level guys from from years back i mean you look at like a a kevin owens who was a star in ring of honor but not to the level of um you know a cm punk or a samoa joe or 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 daniel bryan people who really kind of blew up coming out of a ring of honor i don't know that i think it's been years since they've even had somebody on that level a kevin owens level 
um, in in terms of like you, you see that that star power. And again, they've got some great guys. We'll talk about uh, more of that uh, in a moment. Uh, but yeah, they just sort of like lost their way, and and it's really unfortunate. How much of that do you think uh, is just sort of circumstance, and how much of that is uh, mismanagement? Because th- there there is a thought that they took some wrong turns here, and and the the one that's pointed to some as kind of a potential turning point where you know there was this fork in the road, and they took the wrong one was. Back in, I guess it was uh, 2018, 2017, AEW in, in a lot of ways has its roots in Ring of Honor. If you remember, uh, you know, the, the origins of AEW was All In, um, and the origins of All In was essentially Ring of Honor. And it was the bet that Dave Meltzer made that Ring of Honor couldn't draw, couldn't fill us in arena or whatever it was. And Cody, who was working with Ring of Honor at the time, kind of took that bet and, and built All In. Uh, which was not officially a Ring of Honor branded, but the idea was a Ring of Honor type product on a big stage can draw. Um, and uh, then there's obviously, you know, the Madison Square Garden a show with New Japan, the co-branded show over WrestleMania weekend that filled Madison Square Garden. So it seems like there were some opportunities there where they could have really um, grown the product. And I don't know, did they not take them? Um, did they really never materialize? What's your take on how the company's been managed in the last few years? Well, the mismanagement that I see has more to do is more Sinclair related, in my yeah. opinion, because I see, uh, you know, one of the things that was impressive about Ring of Honor is that for years you you actually got to see them grow and expand and become something more. Because I feel like, for example, I, I mentioned the TNA comparison, you know, TNA from the minute they hit the ground running, whether they were or not, they wanted to be, you know, the competitor to WWE. That was their thing. They were like, you know, you had Jeff Jarrett there and all that. They were looking to be the spiritual successor of WCW. Whereas Ring of Honor was more like, especially in the beginning, Ring of Honor really was perceived of as an indie. They were they were a solid indie. They were a high-profile indie, but they were an indie. And they grew into something to the point where you couldn't call them that anymore. They, they really broke through. But I think the and part of that was, you know, getting on international syndication and that kind of thing, because you can't say that a wrestling company that's televised, you know, in markets all over North America is an indie. You just can't say that. But I feel like they hit a glass ceiling like they 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 reached a point where they were growing, they were expanding and then it just stopped. And 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 you felt like, OK, you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. OK, what's going to happen next? Like, what's the next level? And there was no next level. And I think part of that and from knowing people on the inside of the business and stuff, I don't know what you had heard. But the impression I always got was that Sinclair, you know, they owned it, but they weren't really willing. Like wrestling wasn't their bread and butter. and They weren't really willing to commit in the way that they could have in terms of investing, helping it grow. They just kind of enjoyed keeping it in its place and and just leaving it there. And I think that was the death knell of Ring of Honor. When it when it when it stopped feeling like it was growing, it just started to stagnate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the origins of that relationship was um, Joe Coff who is a, a lifelong wrestling uh, a fan and I think uh, had some 
might have worked in the business. Um, I, I think he had a connection with Gary Juster, who used to be uh, essentially a promoter for WCW and, and I think other companies over the years. And uh, not exactly the way, you know, this was Dixie, uh, TNA was Dixie Carter's plaything under Panda, but it sort of felt sometimes that Ring of Honor was uh, Joe Coff's plaything. And, and Joe Coff, with, with all due respect, infinitely uh, uh, more savvy about wrestling and a smarter wrestling mind than Dixie Carter. So this is n- no way a dig at Joe Coff. But I think as, as you're touching on, it felt like an island in Sinclair. And I remember going through their financials some years ago <clears throat> for, for a story. And and um, Sinclair publicly traded a group. I mean, basically, they're, they're in the uh, syndicated wrestling, uh, syndicated television business. They've got stations all, all over uh, the country. Uh, it's hard to even find a mention of Ring of Honor in, in their financials. I mean, it really is just this little blip in in a much bigger um, business model. And you kind of got the sense that this was Jokov's thing and they were kind of letting him have it. And in, in some sense, it it, it, it made sense. Um, you know, we could the, the biggest challenge for a wrestling company in, in growing and trying to get a national audience is television. And the idea here is that that's kind of built in because we're owned by television companies. So we're never going to have to struggle to get on television because we'll just put them on our own channels. Um, and in, in one way, maybe that kept them afloat for uh, some time, the last 10 years or so since they've been owned by uh, Sinclair. But I think as you, you touched on, it also kind of limited them. And um, I think what you touched on is true that uh impact for better or for worse right always was kind of reaching for that next rung sometimes delusionally yes. um you know and ring of honor always sort of seemed okay with kind of where they were uh and and i even remember over the years having lots of conversations with Joe Coff before that with Carrie Silkin and, and talking about you know the growth plan and do you see yourselves potentially as uh, competition, whether to WWE or to to Impact, and they always kind of shied away from that, and it's like, no, no, we're just kind of doing our own thing. And on some level, I respected that, uh, but I'm, but you you did it did feel like there wasn't that ambition sometimes there, there wasn't um, a growth plan, and maybe that attitude when some opportunities presented themselves. Because remember, again, uh, b- before AEW. Ring of Honor is where you went to see the Young Bucks and um, the Elite and Cody and Adam Page. They were the hot hand for a while. They were when when um, TNA was really kind of struggling in the dying days of, of the Dixie Carter era without any kind of direction. Ring of Honor was putting 1,200, 1,500 uh, people in uh, in buildings regularly, you know, headlining with the Bucks and Cody and some other stars. Uh, so again, they they were a hot property for a while, and you know I don't know I I it, it, it I think um, they they weren't taking um, some of the steps to to grow it and and part of it is again I don't know that they were really kind of nurturing the talent. When is the last time? Look at the last several champions, and there's been some su- super talented guys there, but but who have been their headliners for the last several years? You know Dalton Castle a while back, talented guy, some upside didn't feel like he was ever on the level of some of uh, um, the predecessor, his predecessors. Um, Jay Lethal, a, a great hand, a veteran, but kind of a known commodity, right? I mean, I think you knew what you were getting with Jay Lethal, and he was never going to be that much of a, a difference maker. And then they took this sort of sharp turn with Roosh and PCO and uh, more recently Bandito, who in all in their own way 
um, tremendously talented, but uh, very much a departure from the past, especially when you're talking about um, some of the Lucha stars that um, it's always going to be, they come with some unique challenges in, in really getting them over as, as top, top guys in an American uh, company. So um, have you have you enjoyed the Ring of Honor product over the last uh, several years or, you know, what 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 have been the pros and cons for it for you? Well, it's it's you know, I'm I followed it, but it's one of those things where it's like I've I used to watch it for my own personal enjoyment. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but it became more a thing like, oh, I, I, I'm following this because I follow the wrestling industry and I right. want to keep up with what's going on. It became less of an enjoyment thing where it's like I'm, I'm going to do this because I enjoy watching this show. So it became more like I'm going to follow it. I'm going to watch highlights. I'll see what people are saying. I, it's not required viewing. I'm not sitting there and watching the show from beginning to end every week. Um, you know, part of that is <laughs> my own personal issue is where I live. I, well, you may have the same issue in the Northeast. Yeah. They air on Nesson. And I, I don't get it at all. That is a mess because I don't know other people listening in this part of the country, but Nesson does a terrible job um, because what and the same thing happens when they were running. I, I talked to Dave Marquez about this because they were running his shows on there, too, is they will put these shows on in the middle of the night. And then what they do is they randomly just change the show times at the last minute. And so I'm not staying up till three in the morning, you know, no. I'm PPRing these shows and it never, it never would record. So mm -hmm. half the time, and I, I'm wondering if that was happening in other markets too. Half the time I wasn't even able to get it unless I watched it online, obviously. Uh, but it, it, it became a lot harder to see. It's almost like, like I said, they reached a point where they expanded, they expanded, they expanded. Uh, there was more exposure and then it started to feel like they were contracting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for last week, I, I, I don't get a Sinclair channel. Um, so following them has been, um, well, I, I think we as pro wrestling illustrated had some access to, uh, some videos on their, their website, um, YouTube. So I they're, they're on fight TV also. I mean, you, right. can, yep. you can watch them on there. I mean, that, you know, and I, I admit that's also my own personal bias. Like I prefer, viewing one way over another way like my thing with with shows that stream is always like if you don't give me a time to watch something if and this is because i'm old i guess if it's not appointment style viewing for me to watch or record i'll just i'm just gonna forget about it or i'm never yeah. gonna get around to it i'll say yeah i'll watch that at some point especially if it's a weekly show forget it i'm just not and the thing is there are a lot of people that aren't like that but there are a lot of people who are like that and when and that is one of the issues with only doing streaming and not having a cable deal is that there's a lot of people that, yes, anyone on Earth can see your show. There's a lot of people that just aren't going to when you do it that way. And that's just a reality. Yeah, right. And and uh, again, that was one of one of it's sort of this mixed blessing that they for the last 10 years never really had to worry about getting a TV deal because they were owned by a TV company. But as you touched on what that TV company was doing with them was also limiting them. In, in a big, big way. It wasn't like they were featured on prime time on Thursday nights all, all over the country. Um, you know, that I think by and large, they would bury them in uh, weird time slots, late at night, weekends, uh, very inconsistent. And so that show was out there. And if you checked it out, I mean, they, they certainly made big strides in terms of their production um, over the last several years. Uh, but it was really hard to follow. There was 
I think fair to say very little buzz on Ring of Honor over the last few years. I'd put it, you know, below even uh, impact since Anthem bought them and rebranded them, maybe even under the NWA. People weren't really talking about Ring of Honor's weekly uh, TV shows when they'd have a pay-per-view and have some big news. I think you'd create some buzz. That's usually when I would tune in. That'd be kind of like my usual check-in would be. I'd try to catch most of their pay-per-views and and by and large enjoyed them. I mean, they just always put on a really good show, uh, but it felt hard to follow. It, it was kind of hard to be a, a Ring of Honor fan. And uh, all, all that said, I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about, which which maybe um, has more to do with this news than, than anything else, was the pandemic. And, um, you know, I think pretty widely people have felt that they handled it more responsibly than maybe any other wrestling company in that they and again, that to their detriment, uh, at least business wise, they shut down for uh, more than a year. When they came back, they they did that bubble in um, in Maryland where they were housing all all the wrestlers, um, testing them uh, regularly. No audience, uh, I think, really went. And, and I think this is a big um, a testament to Joe Koff, who always been a super class guy, uh, really went above and beyond to make sure the wrestlers were were healthy, taken care of, did the, the responsible thing. Uh, but it had a huge impact on them financially because all this money was going out and obviously it wasn't coming in. They hadn't been drawing for a while. And you're obviously not drawing when you're not letting any fans into the building. And then when they just kind of kicked, started things back up, I think the last pay-per-view was the first one with live fans. Uh, it wasn't a strong showing. And, uh, you know, I think you, you, you took a product that was already kind of teetering and um, COVID really, really hurt them. And um, again, one thing that they were doing that, uh, was great for wrestlers and the wrestling business was offering all these guys a contract. I mean, a lot of these guys were being paid really, really well um, and sitting at home for, for a year, uh, but that's unsustainable. And again, um, Sinclair not being in the wrestling business, having much bigger fish to fry and having their own challenges in the l- last few months, uh, you can see them just saying, all right, enough's enough. We have to cut bait here. We've been doing this for 10 years. It clearly isn't working. Um, we need to pull back. Yeah. And, and I'm the last thing that I'm seeing too, or the most recent thing I was reading was that they're selling their uh, video library. And uh, is which, that official? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, know. it's official in a sense it's being reported on, but um, which is definitely a sign that maybe they're not planning to come back. Cause why would you sell off yeah. your library? Um, now, having said that, I think even though, They've been out of the tape library buying market for a while now. I cannot <clears throat> imagine that WWE is not going to want to jump on that. That's just, a huge asset. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's of, probably the, 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 the last really yeah. valuable uh, a library that that is available to, to buy. Right. And it also shows the um, early years of a lot of their current stars and biggest yeah. stars of recent years and you know, it, it it could be used for so many things to show the early appearances of a lot of their talent. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's easily a a seven figure asset. And maybe that's even um, being too conservative uh, with that, because, again, you're talking 20 years and, and they ran a lot in their days. I mean, they, they were putting out several shows a week. And right. You've got the formative years of 
uh, CM Punk and Samojo and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins uh, and and AJ Styles. Bizarre. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just tons of guys. Um, most of WWE's uh, maybe it's exaggerating, but a lot of WWE's uh, top guys over the last several years came through there. And um, yeah, it's almost been wasted <laughs> being uh, owned by Sinclair because I, I think they have a uh, like a, a 2B channel, right? I think they, there's a, a Ring yes. of Honor like where they show a lot of the stuff, but nobody's watching that there. So uh, yeah, and in as much as I imagine there's um, some debt there, some costs um, that they'd be looking to recoup, I imagine that goes a long way. So certainly I could see Sinclair uh, being happy to, to sell that that library, but that really would be kind of the, the beginning of, of the end, and, and it's really too bad. Um, another thing to mention that, that I think has uh, uh, really hurt them, this is all sort of related to what we've been talking about, is that, you know, this, uh, what what does uh, Kenny Omega call it, the, the, the forbidden door that's opened, right? You're seeing all these relationships, right? You're seeing AEW work with Impact and also kind of work with NWA and work with New Japan and all these companies kind of collaborating um and it feels like ring of honor is kind of like the the odd man out and they they're really kind of been an, an island to themselves you know they had that relationship with with new japan for some years and and i i think you know for obvious reasons new japan just said you know, this doesn't really make sense for us when they were the hot hand and they they were kind of like the the hip boutique um uh, promotion in in united states it made sense to to work with them. And I went to Ring of Honor shows where Okada wrestled, where Tanahashi wrestled. Uh, and, you know, once they lost that, I thought it was uh, it, it was not good. And the Ring of Honor, you know, they, they took a lot of credit for filling up Madison Square Garden. I think the reality is anybody in that building will tell you that it was largely New Japan that that filled that building. And again, that that night, I, they put the the world title on on Matt Taven that night. And again, that's the kind of like business decision that like I I don't know if that was um, <laughs> the right move to make. Twenty thousand people in Madison Square Garden, and you decide to highlight Matt Taven, who's a fine wrestler, uh, but but I don't I don't know who saw him as kind of the future of that company. Um, you know, other thing that happened around that time was the whole controversy with Marty Skrull. You know, a, a guy who. Again, at one point, tons of buzz. He was part of that clique with uh, with the Bucks and Kenny Omega. And remember, there was a, a, a lot of questioning, you know, whether he came over to AEW, whether he'd even be one of like these co-founder um, EVPs and made the decision to stay in Ring of Honor and kind of run Ring of Honor. I mean, they, they put all of creative on his hand uh, in, in in his power. And then he had his controversy with uh, I guess a 16 year old girl in, in the UK. And I also think he was supposed to get a run with the NWA world title. I think yeah, I can see it right. He was about the headline that that show when they went 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 dark. Yeah, with Aldis. Yeah. Bad circumstances, and, and there were other controversies with Kelly Klein, with uh, Jay Lethal. Um, so a lot of bad breaks along the way. Um, let's talk about the 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 talent in Ring of Honor. Because that, you know, more than than anything else, that's the tragedy here, right, is that there are a lot of super talented wrestlers who are going to lose their jobs, right? I mean, the, the rest of it is just sort of like sentimentality. You're not going to have your ring of honor to watch each week um, if, if that's what happens. But but the, the real, you know, uh, uh, tragedy of this and the real circumstances are that um, a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot fewer jobs in wrestling and a lot of talented wrestlers are going to be on the uh, unemployment line. Um, it. 
I know there are folks that'll that'll look at AEW doing real well and WWE and, and Impact kind of up and running and saying, oh, it's fine. All these people land on their feet. I think the reality is that they won't. Some will, uh, uh, some won't. Um, I, I don't see a ton of people who are sure things. Uh, so in, in looking at that roster, who do you see as some wrestlers that that land on their feet and, and maybe where do they land? Well, just b- before I get to that, though, I just want to say that you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like we always say that the more companies, the better, the more places yeah. for wrestlers to work, the better it is for the talent, the better it is for wrestling in general. And I can't understand and I, I understand where it comes from. It's like this WWE kind of fostered this mentality. But the way some fans think where they're, you know, to actually be rooting for a company to fail is the most bizarre thinking to me that from a fan perspective, why wouldn't you want these options? Why wouldn't you want these people to have places to work? I mean, you know, there used to be a time where, you know, there were many, many more wrestlers than today that were able to make a full-time living doing this. And that's the goal, you know, but I mean, to your question, I mean, honestly, I'm, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I, I will say this. I uh, I think Dan House and I think Dalton Castle. I think those guys are going to be just fine. Um, I know that uh, I, I'm I'm a little higher. I think on Dalton Castle than you. I think that he, uh, I mean, he he's not a kid anymore. But I think that his potential has never really been fully reached. I think he his act and 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 his whole gimmick and his performance style and everything is. I would have said once upon a time, you know, WWE tailor made, but but that was even before AEW. I, I had my eye on him, but I, I think he's a guy that should be doing much bigger and better things than he's doing. Danhausen is incredible in the sense that he has created a cult around him, almost through his own sheer willpower, and, and I feel like it's almost a matter of it's only a matter of time before he gets a bigger platform than he's on. So that's you know, that's a given to me. Um, other than that, I mean, people always say the Briscoes are kind of like the biggest tag team of, you know, the last like decade or so to never go to WWE. So maybe something like that finally happens mm-hmm. or, or AEW, obviously. Um, I could see that happening. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, you know, huge buzz on him. A lot of people call him pound for pound the best wrestler in the world or the best wrestler yeah. in America. Um, so I think he's somebody that that should be OK, but it's definitely not the way it was where, you know, it, it, think about it this way. If 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this happened, um, you would say, oh, my God, this is going to be like a, an explosion of guys jumping to WWE and doing big things. And it doesn't feel that way anymore. Like you said, there's a handful there's some guys that work better in an ROH environment like, P, you know, PCO. I don't see him, you know, doing com- coming to one of the big two companies, but he worked really well where he was. Uh, other guys are like that, too. They're like Silas Young and people like that. But yeah. um, I just it, it's just definitely way slimmer than it used to be. Way slimmer. Yeah. Yeah, and and something you said about Dalton, I, I think applies to to uh, a lot of these guys, and it's that they're they're not kids anymore. You know, they have spent a, a big chunk of their career in in Ring of Honor, and 
you, now they become free agents, but maybe they're in their late 30s. And, you know, it, it's not that they don't have talent or an upside, but are you really going to really invest in a guy right. that maybe has another four or five years uh, I, in him? You know, I first saw uh, Dalton Castle um, in Northeast Wrestling, I want to say. This is before he even went to Ring of Honor, I think. This was about seven or eight years ago. And I remember just going like, it was one of those things. It was like it was like Piano Man, you know, where I'm going. What is this guy doing here? It was that kind of a thing. Like this guy doesn't belong here. He's too good to be here. No offense to Northeast Wrestling, but I always felt that he he never really got the stage that he should have. I mean, I think he's a great act. I think he'd do really well in one of the big two companies. You know, especially you know maybe a few years ago. I don't know about now, but I still think he could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at other key guys in, in Ring of Honor, uh, Jonathan Gresham, you mentioned him. I think he, I, I don't know if they're going to keep anybody under contract, but I feel like if they keep one guy under contract, it should be Jonathan Gresham. I mean, that that's the kind of guy that I think Ring of Honor can build around, um, who sort of personifies everything, the, right. the best of Ring of Honor, you know, uh, a guy who was undersized, but technically untouchable. Um, and I could see, you know, Similar to um, a, a TNA, not just TNA, but kind of the old territory system where you had your one guy very often owned the company. And so you built around him and then other guys were kind of interchangeable and they would come and go. Uh, maybe that's because you need a world champion if you're going to run in any sense. And it'd be good if the world champion was under contract somehow. <laughs> so, again, if, if they have one guy, maybe it should be uh, Gresham. Uh, if it if if he uh, does end up staying, uh, I don't know if WWE is a good fit. Uh, maybe NXT is because he's he is um, very short for a wrestler, but um, the guy's so talented. I think he'd end up uh, somewhere. Jay Lethal, I think could could go right back to Impact. I think they would jump at having a Jay Lethal back uh, because he's got that uh, uh, history in in impact and comes back actually in some ways meaning more than when he left because he was kind of an exhibition guy and now he comes back as kind of a tna original and a multi-time world champion with a lot of main event experience so uh that's a guy uh, i think who'll do okay the briscoes as you touched on um i i could see maybe wwe wanting them i could absolutely see AEW wanting them they prioritize tag teams more than wwe uh does and they are very much a a, a tag team with a, a reputation that a lot of people have not seen on that big, big stage yet. So, you know, I think they show up on AW show, do a run in and the place absolutely explodes. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe less so in WWE. Um, Brody King is, is a guy who, who has got a big push. He headlined a final battle last year. He's got some of the things that you'd think to be looking for in terms of, of size. Um, you know, the, the, the look, the body type, eh, you know, I, I'm not sure about, but uh, he'll probably do okay. Dak Draper, who who I interviewed um, here in the podcast some months back, and, and I guess had a developmental deal with WWE for a while, I could see them giving him another look. He checks a lot of the boxes. Good-looking guy, uh, tall, um, some charisma. Uh, you touched on Dan Housen. But you know what? It's, Vincent is a guy I think WWE maybe would be interested in because uh, he's, he's got a unique look. Uh, but man, is it a drop off? I mean, you go, I'm going, I'm on the roster page now and it's like, nope, I, nope, nope. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think Dan Housen, it's amazing to me that Dan Housen isn't already in AEW. I, I, I don't even understand. Yeah. I could see him there. Yeah. Again, a guy who you, you, 
introduced right. and it gets a reaction right away. Oh, God, because yeah. that crowd, you know, they're, they're going to know him. The thing with WWE is they're going to want to change him. They're going to want to change his name. They're going to want to mess right. around with gimmick and half the audience is 10 year old kids that have no idea who he is aew is is the place where he could just walk in exactly as he is and and get a huge pop and he has a bunch of people he can work with i mean already the stuff that he's been doing online with mjf is hilarious it's like they're working their own angles i don't know it at all it's hilarious it almost makes me think that he's already destined to go there but i wanted to touch on the briscoes too for a second too because i always thought of them as like i'll give you an example uh back in the day uh when ecw was kind of in its dying days one of the guys um one of their top guys that never made the jump uh was rvd and the 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 story that i always heard about him and i kind of confirmed it from talking to him was he was one of those guys very very rare in the business who wasn't really primarily motivated by money. Mm-hmm. He was doing it because he loved it. He enjoyed it. It was his passion. He was enjoying making a living at it, but he didn't automatically always just want to go where the most money was. And he resisted the urge until he had no other options. And then he was like, all right, I might as well go. And I feel like I got, I've never met the Briscoes. I don't know them personally, but I always got the impression that they were in the same category where they enjoyed what they were doing. They were having fun. They were happy where they are. You know, they could have done a lot more. And I think that a time like now when the options are slim, they might start to we might start to see them finally pop up on a full time basis in in one of the bigger companies. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird situation. I think you're absolutely right Where, where they might end up making more money out of this than if Ring of Honor ever right. st- stuck around. And I'm sure they probably had some of the better contracts in, in Ring of Honor. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, yes, part of that that persona is put on, but I don't think a lot of it. I mean, those guys are are pretty authentic. And um, yeah, I, I think they were they were comfortable and OK, you know, working a, 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 a driving distance from uh, their homes there in, in the Northeast and making a good living and having a following. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, but, but right. I mean, I think those guys are, are kind of like maybe the most obvious pickups from, from here. Guys who I worry more about are like the Matt Tavens of the world who, you know, they're sort of like neither fish nor fowl. Like they're, they're, they've got a little bit, they don't quite even fit into the ring of honor world. They don't quite fit into the V world. It's like, you, you've got some size, but not a whole lot of size. You've got kind of a good look, but not a great look You're uh, uh, super talented, but it's hard to point at anything that you do that is better than anybody else. Um, EC3 is another guy who just came off of WWE, ended up in Ring of Honor, and I don't know what you do with EC3. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure they could get some work, you know, um, in the indies and stuff like that, but uh, I don't think this bodes really well for them, and um, it's a shame. There's some guys, like you mentioned Matt Taven, he's a great example of it, who I think they have been able to kind of piece together a career like a patchwork of of really and it's it's interesting to watch of kind of going all different places touring traveling whether it's new japan whether it's you know indies in the united states a little bit of ring of honor and and just make a go of it i feel like there's going to be some guys that can do that now where they may not get the big wwe contract or even AEW contract but they're going to be okay. Uh, they're not going to be millionaires, but they're going to be okay piecing together 
uh, bookings, you know, they're not going to have trouble getting bookings is what I'm saying. Like that's sort of the second tier. There's that top tier of guys that are going to be fine. They're going to make huge money. Then there's a second tier of guys that can, that are going to be able to continue to be very well booked just based off what they've done. And then you've got the next level of the guys that are really going to kind of have to sweat this out and might, you know, and might no longer really be able to be full-time yeah. rounds, you know? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll uh, uh, bring up a, a whole other category. And in some ways it's their top guys and that's their luchadors. And and that's been kind of a decided direction of ring of honor in the last few years. Um, you know, their their last few world champions, the guys who have held their titles for last couple of years, was Rouge, who had two title reigns that took up the better part of I think two years, and then more more most recently uh, Bandito, who's their uh, reigning world champion. Um, you know, Dragon Lee's another guy who's who's one of their bigger acts, guy who's got some name value, um, a big reputation, uh, and so. I, you know, I assume they could go to Mexico tomorrow and, and continue working. Uh, but how how much of opportunity do you think it, there is for these guys to continue their path in the United States? What is the, the appetite? What's kind of the marketability of of those wrestlers? In the well, I mean, wh- whether it's in the United States or not, I think they're going to be OK. But in terms of like wanting to keep working in the U.S., I mean, I don't know. Doesn't it seem like these days kind of AEW is is the place that's very friendly or more friendly to luchadors? I feel like WWE, I don't know. It sort of seems like if if, if he's not Rey Mysterio, they don't know what the heck to right. do. With him. I mean, that's been the that's been the track record, unfortunately. It's like, a language barrier, a lot of it, right? And and, yeah. and that's what what Rey Mysterio has that a lot of these guys, you know, it, it's well. well and he, e- even the Lucha House Party guys, most of the guys, uh, at least uh, a couple of them, I think, do speak a pretty uh, uh, good English. Uh, but but a guy like Bandito, who is tremendous, right? I mean, it, what he does, he does amazingly. But there are some real obstacles there, and uh, you know, I think. It's easy to sort of like write off WWE for for their biases, but but I, I think there's a lot of legitimate issues that, that that brings up. I mean, it's not another issue with Rey Mysterio versus some of these other guys is uh, the the importance of like uh, facials, right? Um, that reaction and Bandito, you don't see anything. <laughs> the guy's face is completely completely covered up. That so so you have a guy who you cannot see his face at all. And who, as far as I know, I, I don't believe speaks uh, uh, English well. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and that's a challenge. Yeah, and that was the other thing. You know, that's a, really an American wrestling thing. Obviously, facial's not as important in the Lucha Libre tradition, yeah. right? Otherwise, you wouldn't have an entire tradition based around guys covering their face. But it's but it's always been an obstacle in American wrestling where where you know, exaggerated facial expressions are, have always been so valued in terms of selling emotion in a match. And Vince, for sure, like I can tell you, even Ray and a lot of people know this, even Ray Mysterio, who even just not even forget about the Mexico stuff, but coming out of out of WCW right. was one of the top gets by anybody who was looking at that situation was still treated as far from a sure thing when he came to WWE. It took a few years for them to really understand that he was a top guy. And 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 it was a size issue. It was, um, you know, they saw him as a niche act. And also the mask. I know I remember from being there, uh, people probably remember that Ray before WWE you could never see his eyes. There was always mm-hmm. like, like a lot of luchadors, he would have the grill or the grating over the eyes where you couldn't even see that. 
And I remember that was a concession because when he came to that, may, that may have happened in WCW. I may be off on that, but I know in the, in his early years, his eyes were covered. And when he came to WWE, the first thing they said to him was your mask's got to come off. And he, and that had already happened to him in WCW. And he was like, no way I'm not doing that. And the concession was, well, we have to at least see your eyes and we want you to wear these funky contact lenses. So they stand out and people can see your eyes. And, you know, he had to jump through those kind of hoops in order to be treated like a top guy there. So, I mean, just to get back to the original question and the point we're trying to make, you know, yeah, it's going to be tougher for those luchadors. There's even with AEW's uh, kind of willingness to work with AAA and things like that. Again, it's just one less place. It's one less option. So, you know, do the math, you know. Yeah, it's it's not that those guys couldn't get work in, in the U.S. Uh, it's that. I don't know that they could be featured. You know, I don't think that Bandito is in the the world title scene discussion anywhere else in in the United States, right? I mean, short of a a much smaller promotion. But when you talk about could he get a job in AEW? Um, yeah, perhaps. You know, is he headlining a pay per view with Kenny Omega? Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose it's it's really more possible than WWE, but I wouldn't sort assume that that would be the case. It, it's um it's just different. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting, uh, all kind of sad. You know, we could talk here a little bit about the legacy of, of Ring of Honor. And um, I remember my my first Ring of Honor show. It was um, they were already around for a few years at this point. I certainly heard a lot of the buzz, but but never got around to seeing the show. It was uh, Black Friday 2006. And they were playing in um, on Long Island in uh, Smith Haven, the sports sports plus in smith haven and went over there and i remember i mean this is like right in the middle of like uh you know ruth ruthless aggression wwe and wcw had been out of business for some time i guess tna had, was already up and running by then um but it had been a long time since i experienced something that kind of uh that, that was new in wrestling right and i remember going to my first ecw show back in 1995 and just sort of like jaw dropping at being at something that was so different than than what I knew as wrestling um, and thinking that that could never be replicated again, that feeling and going to that first Ring of Honor show and and feeling that uh, again and, and in some ways completely, you know, polar opposite of what ECW was doing, but but also very similar in in that spirit of uh innovation of of like you were watching a, a revolution you were experiencing revolution something that was so different than corporate mainstream wrestling it was i i still feel this way sometimes when i watch a great uh ufc card or something and then like the next night uh, tune into a wwe pay-per-view it, it's like there's that come down and i remember watching going to that show ring of honor and it was a friday night and then coming home and watching a smackdown and it's almost whiplash, right, uh, in, in terms of the presentation. Uh, and, you know, the physicality of it, the uh, the sports presentation, uh, the, the, the passion of fans, the passion of the wrestlers, it was um, unlike anything that was going on in, in the mainstream at the time. And they really kept that spirit for so many years. I think about watching Brian Danielson and, and Nigel McGinnis, their series of matches uh, in, in the Manhattan Center, um, Takeshi Morishima and and uh, Brian Danielson in that chain match 
Um, it, it was some of my best memories as a wrestling fans uh, through the, the 2000s. And, uh, you know, I think that's there, you know, more so maybe than any other wrestling company, certainly United States that I could think of. They've had an influence in what we know uh, wrestling to look like in uh, 2021. Yeah, it was uh, the the only Ring of Honor show that I ever went to live was in 2007 at the Manhattan Center. It was Glory by Honor. It was late 2007, I think November. And um, I was able to kind of go because the, you know, I had just left WWE. I really wasn't watching a lot of wrestling. I was sort of taking a breather <laughs> and but the guy who one of the guys who worked in publicity for WWE was now working for Ring of Honor. And he invited me to come sort of as like a as like a guest of honor. He's like, come and check out the show and tell us what you think. And I didn't. The only thing I knew about them was just from inside the WWE bubble, like the, that they were competition, you know. And I went there and um, I was blown away. Yeah, I mean, that night was the main event was Mitsuhara Misawa versus Kenta. OK, and I had these are guys whose names I had only read in The Observer, basically, up until that point. And I, I remember feeling like I was on another planet. It was like a kind of wrestling and the whole car too, top to bottom. Claudio Castagnoli, who became Cesaro and things like that, you know, a kind of wrestling that I had really never seen before because I was a little bit sheltered and I only, you know, when I was in WWE, you know, when you're so inundated, that's all really you're, you're watching. And before WWE, there's, before I worked there in the 90s, there certainly was nothing like Ring of Honor in the United States. So it was like a real culture shock. You know, it felt like uh, almost like, I, I don't know, uh, it was almost like my impression was that it was the Japanese style of wrestling, the, the New Japan style adapted for an American audience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. was the vibe that I came with, you know, with all the streamers in the ring and all that kind of thing and being a ring of honor thing that they got from Japan. What I also remember from that show, you know, it was the Manhattan Center, which is always a cool venue for wrestling, you know, and and I my memories of being there was from the early Monday Night Raws. I go pro. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> there in and this is not to put myself over. This story's going somewhere, but they put me in the in the VIP section, the people that had that were like personally invited to be there. And I'm sitting there and a couple of rows in front of me, I notice all of a sudden, halfway through the show, Nicolas Cage comes and sits down. <laughs> and right. he's he's sitting next to somebody that I later discovered was Darren Aronofsky because right. Um, Nicholas Cage was the original choice to play um, the main character in The Wrestler, which eventually went to Mickey Rourke. And they had their um, kind of like deal with Ring of Honor. A lot of people know where Ring of Honor was sort of like their official consultant. A lot of the wrestling events portrayed in the movie are Ring of Honor events. You know, Nigel McGuinness and a lot of the Ring of Honor guys are in the movie. And so apparently like this was research for Nicholas Cage. And he had spent like half the show in the locker room. And then he shows up, you know, and watch the rest of the show from the audience. And also it, and, and it may sound silly, but it also made me see them as, wow, th this place is a little more legit than I had originally thought. You know, if they if they're doing things like this and they're and they're consulting on movies and this incredible talent and this, this kind of athleticism I've never really seen anywhere else in American wrestling. 
it made me take them seriously. And that was 2007. I started kind of really following them closely after that. And that's why I say that I saw their ascension and then I saw them kind of just plateau. And it, and it, and it was disappointing to me to see that. But 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 I'll always have that first impression from from um, that Manhattan Center show. Yeah, I, I think I, I was at that show, too. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I generally didn't miss a Ring of Honor show in New York at the time. And, and I've got the card in front of me, and, and it speaks to what we've been saying. I mean, look at who was on that card. Uh, El Generico, the the, the current right. Sami Zayn, uh, Kevin Steen, the current Kevin, Kevin Owens, uh, Austin Aries, Claudio Castanoli, who is Cesaro, the Briscoes, um, Tyler Black, uh, Seth Rollins, uh, uh, Morishima, Brian Danielson, Roderick Strong, Davey Richards, uh, Jack Evans, who's an AEW now, uh, Austin Aries, Chris Hero, Misawa, Kenta. Um, yeah, I mean, there it was. It wasn't a sure thing that if you made it to Ring of Honor, you'd be a star. But uh, you were on your way. You were very much uh, on on the right track uh, at that time. And uh, yeah, those shows were a blast to watch. I think what you mentioned about the wrestler maybe kind of you know goes back to what we were saying is that. There was there were opportunities there along the way that that it feels like the Ring of Honor didn't um, make the most of. And uh, it's a shame. You know, hopefully uh, this isn't the end. You know, I, I, I do think about how many times were there conversations like this about TNA and Impact. This has got to be the end. And they they'd somehow always pull that nose up and um, they're still around uh, today. They're going to make their 20th anniversary next year. A very different TNA impact than, than um, years ago. Uh, but at least there is the model there, the example there of how you could keep something uh, afloat. So uh, hopefully they do. Uh, uh, maybe that, that's a quick transition, and then I want to spend too much time uh, on it, but uh, Impact just had their what's usually their biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory, last year. Uh, I watched it, thought it was a good show. Again, I, I, it's another company I don't get to watch that much of, in part because I don't get the channel. Um, but but I try to tune in as much as possible. Uh, it it ends kind of with a swerve. You know, there was a whole big uh, buildup to Josh Alexander being kind of the next guy. And he, do, he does win the world title, uh, beats Christian Cage in the main event. And then uh, Moose comes in and essentially cashes in the money in the bank <laughs> contract and uh, leaves with the, the world title. Um, what was your take on uh, not just the show, but, but, but kind of the, the direction that that sends impact on? Well, I mean, uh, they're, they're sort of in this weird period right now where it's, uh, they, they definitely have some interesting talent and, and things going on. And, and but I, I feel like, I don't know that their position in the industry just continues to to slip in my mind. Like, I don't even think I'd consider them the number three company anymore in terms of they're just because I mean, yeah, they're on TV. But like you said, I mean, they haven't been on a channel that I'm able to watch in years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're jumping around. And I feel like right now they're they're just in a place where um, I understand it's a period of change and it's a period of retooling. But, you know, I, maybe it's ever since AEW popped on the scene. They they just seem less relevant to me than ever. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but that's really where where I stand on them. Yeah. And the scary thing about that is that this felt like um not the end of that relationship, but they've they've had that synergy, and I think they've been able to benefit for the better part of the last year in that their oh. world champions are featured on AEW, whether it was 
uh, Omega for a while, or more recently, Christian Cage. And this felt like AEW kind of handing the company back to to Impact and saying, all right, now now you take this and go. You got the world title on, on your guys now. Um, you know, it's been fun. Uh, we're going to go do our thing. You're going to do your thing. And so it may be a little bit of a scary time uh, for them. Uh, and, and, and in that sense, I thought it was a good idea that they were building Josh Alexander because to me, he was the kind of guy that they could build around. Uh, and then again, the swerve with Moose, who's super talented. Um, so I don't have a big problem with it. Uh, it, it puts Alexander in, in the position to kind of uh, chase the belt. And maybe that's better. It builds more sympathy as him and maybe more of, uh, of satisfaction release when he finally uh, gets it away from Moose. Uh, so, yeah. And I also want to stress, though, but from what I said, it, again, you know, and I'm not I'm not a hypocrite here because I am not wanting impact to fail. I'm not over here going like, well, they, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, this is not something I'm glad to see happening. I want there to be healthy options and places for people to work. I do not ever want to see impact go in, you know, where where Ring of Honor is going now. I, I, I hope, you know, long may they reign and continue to do what they're doing. I just feel like their piece of the pie um, is shrinking. They they got a little boost, like you said. Uh, the 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 AEW stuff has been incredible, but how long can you do that for? And it was also being demonstrated that it it didn't seem to be helping them very much in terms of right. like their own show and their own ratings and their own buzz. It just wasn't uh, doing much for them. I think part of that is I don't think that AEW – I mean, look, not that it's their job, but I don't think AEW is doing a, a decent job of promoting Impact on their show. I mean, they didn't even really put over the fact that Kenny Omega won their title. It was almost like an afterthought. They, were, they, they barely mentioned what it was. It was just an extra belt that he – or two belts that he was carrying around. Um, they didn't hype up – the unification match. They they really didn't. I don't know what the deal was between the two companies, but whatever it was, it didn't feel like they were holding up their end of it. it, 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 it at the end of the day, it almost started to feel like, why are you even doing this? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it didn't. It was fascinating and it was awesome. And, and but but it wasn't it didn't give impact the boost that it should have. Really. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it remains to be seen. I mean, I think both companies got what they were going to get out of it. You know, Kenny Omega got to claim that he held all these, you know, three world titles at the same time. Impact probably got some extra eyes uh, on them. And I think the metrics show that that they did, that, that you know, the shows that, that Omega was on did better, obviously, than the ones that he wasn't on. I mean, how much of that audience sticks right. around? It, it, it also came kind of a, during a downtime because of the pandemic. Um, and, and they were another one that would put on these shows with no no fans. Um, I think by and large, they've done a fine job. You know, I think absolutely the the current version of Impact with all their limitations, uh, the financial limitations and otherwise, is infinitely uh, just better, certainly more more logical, more sound than what we were getting out of uh, Dixie Carter with a much bigger budget for um, many years. It's just not pull your hair out kind of maddeningly stupid. Uh, it, and and just in in being kind of a a sane product, it's um, it's a relief because even even that much it can be kind of hard to get these days from from WWE. Um, so it, it's it's fine. Uh, kind of going full circle in in some ways, you know, Impact may be 
not that I'm sure that they take any, any uh, a pleasure or satisfaction from what's happening from Ring of Honor, but if there is anybody that stands to gain, it may be Impact because uh, there there is a dearth of top talent uh, there. They're, they're just they don't have the names. Uh, or, or really, so, so you see them kind of trying to elevate people into their main event scene, and you know some of them are fine, some not so much. But in if everybody in Ring of Honor becomes a free agent looking for work and uh, maybe not in the position, doesn't don't have the leverage to ask for top dollar. Uh, I think Impact becomes a real viable option for a lot of those guys. And again, I think they jump at uh, a Jay Lethal. I, I think even like a Matt Taven, I think that, look, a guy who we can say he's a former world champion, who's got some notoriety and reputation, we bring him over. He could go right into the mix with our, our top guys. And I think that goes for um, a lot of Ring of Honor's talent. I mean, that might be uh, the best bet for a lot of Ring of Honor's talent is something on Impact. And um you know, in some ways, they, they get more notoriety. I think Impact watched more households than, than Ring of Honor was. So uh, that's potentially a place for a lot of them to land. Um, so if nothing else, may, maybe that works out. So, all right, Brian, a lot of fun talking about some uh, topics we don't discuss too much. So uh, hopefully, you know, there's a happy ending uh, to all of this. We'll see, I guess. I mean, it's going to be interesting just to see where everybody winds up. And then we'll know whether it, whether it was better for them or not. Want to again thank my co-host Brian Solomon for the conversation and a reminder that you could pre-order his book *Blood and Fire: The Unbe- Unbelievable Real Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik* uh, over at Amazon.com. Uh, right now, let me take you to uh, our interview featured in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. In our hot seat uh, interview, uh, our very own Chris Nashley sat down and spoke with. The former voice of WWE. Right now, she also has a cookbook uh, called Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Sipping Copiously, and uh, also a podcast of her own uh, called Oral Sessions. It's the former Renee Young, Renee Paquette. So first off, how's mommy life treating you? It's great. It's, you know, it's funny because I mean, my baby is just about three months right now. And she's like making all kinds of eye contact and she's super smiley. It's really fun. It's just like cool seeing her like grow and change like every day. It's it's wild. Yeah, I bet. It's really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe you have time to do all these these things. Mom, <laughs> I'm constantly. I do my best. Yeah, I'm I constantly in awe of your work ethic. <laughs> Um, you know, well, recently- I feel like it's like, you know, you have a baby and you want you want to try to maintain the same like level of work that you were doing mm-hmm. before. It's not easy. I mean, I gave myself six weeks after I had the baby, which honestly, I probably could have used a little bit more. But I was like, <laughs> oh, six weeks will be fine. And then I like came back to work and I was like, what am I doing? What's happening? Um, <laughs> luckily, my my mom was in town. So she was really helpful for, um, you know, knowing that I could just like pass the baby off to her if John was on the road and kind of just get back to work. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just figuring it all out again. It's like figuring out what I need time-wise, figuring out when she's going to be needing a nap, what she needs. So right. I think we're we're getting into like a, a bit of a good rhythm together of figuring out how to balance everything. Well, good. Because I mean, you have so much going on. <laughs> um, oral sessions is turning out to be an incredible hit. You know, you chat right. with personalities. Yeah. In all walks of life. Um, how do you find it hard to book your show in that way? Cause there's, 
there's people from all kinds of promotions. And I know just, I mean, I'm not you, right. But I know from my side of things, sometimes it's hard with the politics. Do you find it hard at all? So I don't find it hard so much with the politics because I do feel like, you know, I'm a bit of a fence sitter when it comes to that, that like, you know, obviously I have so many friends still within WWE. um, So being able to reach out to them and get those people to jump on my podcast, that has been pretty easy. Um, However, I mean, it's, it's actually easier with some of the other promotions because I don't necessarily have to like go through the talent relations as much. Yeah. Sometimes there's like that middleman and that can make things take a little bit longer to court schedules rather than just being like, Hey, you want to hop on for an hour? And like, just to work with each other schedules like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been really cool to have on, um, you know, so many different people from like AEW, from Impact, Ring of Honor, just kind of like dabbling around. And it's been fun for me, um, especially now as like people that I have already known from WWE that have shown up in these other promotions. So to be able to, to just give people another platform to talk about what they're doing, what they're working on, and just I love seeing people back um, in like the creative driving seat of their own careers. So being able right. to talk to people about that aspect of everything. Um, yeah, it's it's been really cool, but it's just a lot booking your own show because as much as it's like, you know, you think you look at something like, oh, it's just a podcast. It's fine. But it's like, no, you've got to like book it, get yeah. those guests, get that time set aside. Um, and then, you know, adding if I'm traveling on top of that, having a baby on top of that, it, it can just, it's definitely more work than you think it is when you sign up to do that. Oh, I mean, yeah. even when I, I had the, I did um, the maternity episodes when I was out um, having my baby and I was, I had a couple different guest hosts and I was like, Ooh, who can I ask to do that? Cause it's a lot of work to be like, Hey, can you hop on and host this? It's not just turning on the microphone. You've got to do a little bit of research and you want to talk to people about, there's definitely more to it than that. But, um, no, as far as like the booking of it goes, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. Reaching out to people, seeing who's around. It's been so wrestling heavy too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as when I started doing the podcast, I wanted to be, yeah, a little bit more of everything. Have on different athletes, different actors, musicians, whatever. But there's been so much going on in the world of wrestling. That it would be uh, it would be remiss to not have on those guests on the podcast. Yeah, and it's got to be a little bit easier too because you're on the road a lot with them. I yeah, just, I it's, it's much right. easier. Yeah, it's it right. is just I mean those conversations are easier for me, and also I know those people so well, right. so there is a little less research that has to go into those episodes. So it's nice for me to just be able to you know shoot the shit with people and know yes. that I'm asking them the questions that need to be asked without having to do like extensive, extensive research. Right. And I mean, you talked a little bit about their creative freedom, but it's got to feel a little bit awesome after leaving WWE to have now the freedom of running your own show. Oh my God. It's amazing. So, you know, it's really cool. Like when I started doing oral sessions, I just had the idea that I was like, okay, I'm at home. What can I do? I mean, I found out that I was pregnant, like literally the month I was pregnant two weeks after I left WWE found out, you know, like the month after that. And I was like, oh, I'm having a baby, Um, which was great. I was like, the timing could not have been more perfect. Um, So that and then with COVID happening, it was like, all right, how can I just do something from home? Let's do a podcast. Great. So I started doing that. And then very shortly after releasing, I think maybe like the first three episodes I had on Um, my husband, I had on Josh Barnett and CM Punk. And it was right after, I think the third episode that, um, Colin Cowherd had messaged me, just like DM'd me on Twitter. And it was like, Oh, I really like your show. It's really smart. Um, and we, we didn't talk too much about it. And then when he started to launch the volume network and brought me in from the, the, you know, from day 
one. It mm-hmm. was so great to be able to join them from the beginning. Colin's fantastic. I mean, he's just got such an extensive career oh, yeah. within the sports broadcasting world, getting him to uh, understand the world of wrestling a little more now as he appreciates it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the whole crew that's there is amazing uh, to be able to have a crew that's, you know, that edits my show and gets all the video content put together for me. Cause that was stuff that was just like a little bit difficult for me to do as like a one woman operation. So it, it is really awesome to be able to have other people to lean on to, uh, to crank out so much content. I mean, doing two, yeah. sh- doing two shows a week is actually quite a bit. So being able to have those brilliantly talented people help me out with that is uh, is an added bonus. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something to be said about people who do that weekly multiple times. Cause I even just interviews that we don't have like, um, like for belt to belts, for instance, we don't have like a certain schedule, but there's the editing, there's like overlays, there's promotion. I mean, oh my God, honestly, even like when I started like promoting, I was like, oh my God, all I'm doing is like oral sessions, this oral sessions, that come (laughs) check out this interview. And there's this and check out this snippet that I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I must be like making people want to gag on it. It was just like constant promotion. So yeah, it's like figuring out how to strike that balance of like what works, when do we promote? What are we promoting? It's, it's crazy. And, and, you know, now I've got a new show starting on Monday yeah. on, uh, on Sirius XM with fight nation with Misha Tate. So expect more promotion for that and more talking, but yeah, it, it's all been really, really fun. And just a creative aspect of things to be able to just let loose and not really have to check in with anybody creatively right in terms of, of what I'm doing. I mean, I love having my trusted sources that I want to bounce ideas off of or creatively brainstorm with. And I love being able to check in with those people. Um, but yeah, it is definitely nice to step away from such a gigantic machine like WWE mm-hmm. and really yeah. just be able to do my own thing. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up uh, throwing down because that was my next question. Can you kind of share a little bit about the new show and like how it came about and sort of your hopes for it? Yeah, you know, so I had Misha Tate on oral sessions a couple months ago, um, and it was great just being able to talk to her. It was like right when she was coming out of retirement, um, getting ready for her match again, stepping back into the octagon on UFC. Uh, so it was cool to be able to just chat with her, and we had a good rapport, and it was a great episode. I loved talking to her. And then a couple weeks after that, I jumped on her XM show, and it was just kind of after that, it just seemed like there was sort of this like organic connection between the two of us. And I guess everyone at Sirius saw that and heard that and wanted to have a show with two chicks, which is great. Somebody like Misha, who has just got the the history and the resume that she has, she's such an absolute badass. Um, So for her to bring her expertise of being inside the octagon to to my experience broadcasting and what I've been able to do in the world of WWE, I think it's going to be a really cool partnership. Um, You know, I mean, I love MMA. I love watching UFC, watching Bellator, uh, you know, kind of watching whatever the big, whatever fight is happening, whichever weekend, no matter which promotion it's in, it's fun for me to be able to watch that stuff and kind of chime in, but I'm not the expert. She's the expert there. So we'll just, you know, we'll, kind of be going back and forth and I'll be bringing her into the world of wrestling and introduce her a little bit more to pro wrestling. I know she made it down to SummerSlam and she makes it down to certain events, uh, but to like really get her submerged into the world of professional wrestling, I think will be really cool. Yeah. And it's sort of, uh, I mean, maybe I'm not reading it right, but it sort of feels like your past experience with, with sports broadcasting. It feels more sports broadcasting to me. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, we, I mean, we'll find out on Monday. We've not done an episode yet. So I'm, I'm oh. not even 
sure what the rhythm is going to be like <laughs> or what it's down like yet. I think it'll just be something that will continue to grow and um, the content of it will continue to grow. It's, it's cool to be able to have a show that you're live for three hours yeah. once a week. And yeah, there's going to be tons of different topics to cover, but I think we can also deviate away from those things and just us as personalities, us as women, us as mothers, um, to be able to just shoot the shit on a radio show. And I think that'll be a really cool way for, for people to be able to connect with us as well, rather than like just it being about, about combat sports or about, about professional wrestling. I think we'll be able to kind of dabble into a bunch of different pockets as we, um, as we figure each other out and as we figure the show out. Yeah. And I think it's nice that, that too, that you're going to lean on getting to know you a little bit better as opposed to just interviewing people. And, sure. <laughs> and I, I, you know, we sort of saw that with your cookbook, right? Messy in the kitchen. Yep. So I have it. <laughs> I'm a Yay, huge thank fan. You. Um, and I, I love, so my favorite recipe I would say would be the regular ass poutine. My and girl. <laughs> I, say, I, <laughs> I say it because my fiance is from Quebec city. Oh, what did he think? He, he loves it. He was really, we haven't tried the clam one, but he's really interested in it. Um, I'm not from Quebec. I'm, I'm American. So I got to learn all about kinds of Canadian (laughs) cuisine and French cuisine. Yeah. I really enjoy the book. You even talk about the art of charcuterie because I am not, I am a non-fancy American who is dating (laughs) a fancy French Canadian. So (laughs) I can appreciate a good charcuterie board and I like how you broke it down. Um, you know, the book feels very, very much tied to your personality. It's quirky, fun. It's grounded in reality. It's personable. Would you agree that it, per, uh, that it pulls from your own personality quite a bit? Definitely. You know, that was, the, I mean, the thing that, um, it's funny. I was talking to, um, Natalia Neidhart about this cause she messaged me and she was like, as much as I love looking at the pictures, I love reading the, like the blurbs before mm-hmm. the recipes. And that's the stuff that I had the most fun with. Um, you know, I've not, I've not written anything in such a long time that just really wasn't what I was doing during my time in WWE, but that was something that I was able to do prior to joining WWE. I used to write like a weekly column for a little Toronto newspaper and I really loved doing it. So it was fun to to dabble back into that with this book. And I do feel like my personality really like jumps off the pages. Um, You know, even like, it's funny when you're, you're used to writing your own segments in a teleprompter, you learn how to write, like how you speak. Yes. And I think that that really helped with putting this book together that people, yeah, it sounds like you are talking to me, um, yes. which is the, the ultimate compliment. That's what my, that's what I was trying to achieve. So I'm really glad that, that people can read that and see that and feel that. Yeah. I, that, feel- I mean, Go ahead. just doing the cookbook. That was my like first real, like, okay, I get to just do something completely on my own. I don't have to check. I mean, of course I'm checking it with the publishers and whatnot, but they were super laid back. So, Hey, this is your book. Do what you want to do. <laughs> so it was really cool. Even just to be able to like swear a little bit and like say yeah. stuff that I couldn't normally say on TV. It just <laughs> felt like I was really getting back to Renee Paquette. And I loved that. Yeah. You find that a lot with uh, books written by like comedians. Mm-hmm. Those books are often written like they talk and it's just yeah. so more endearing. Those are the books that I read over and over again. Totally. Exactly. I mean, if you have like a ghostwriter and I understand I mean, it's time consuming as all hell writing a book, yeah. but to be able to take the time to like, to actually put pen to paper or, you know, you're typing it out. It, it's, I, I just really enjoyed the process. I loved doing that. I think it's something that I would love to, to venture out to do again. Maybe I'll do a, some kind of baby food or something. Ooh. 
Yeah, that'd be great. It still just only has breast milk. So we'll see what she likes when she starts <laughs> eating food. That'd be great. Um, we'll see. Yeah. So I did, obviously I did some research. I looked back on your, your past accomplishments and, and if Wikipedia is to be believed, cause sometimes it's not, you were trained in improv. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when I first got out of high school, uh, the very first thing that I did was I went to second city. I just, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. I wasn't sure what the future was going to hold or what I wanted the future to hold. Uh, but I knew that performance in some capacity is what I really wanted to do. Um, and you know, that was the great thing about growing up, uh, just outside of Toronto. I grew up in Ajax, Ontario and Toronto's, you know, 40 minute drive from where I grew up. So it was nice to have access to all these different classes and programs and, but second city, you know, it's so reputable and they have trained the best of the best. So that was the first thing that I did. I went there, I just did like level A through E improv. And it honestly was one of the best learning tools that I ever had. I mean, I, I did extensive different um, acting classes and um, audition classes and speech classes, all sorts of things like that. But improv is the one that I rely on the most, mo- most heavily. I mean, whether I'm hosting a show or whether I was doing commentary, whatever, I just think that made me much better at my job in terms of listening and reacting and not being so married to whatever's on the script or, you know, it's just kind of handling what's right in front of you. And yeah. making the most out of that. So yeah, I mean, doing the stuff at Second City definitely set me up for uh, for success. I think. Yeah, and I, I bring it up because my my fiance, who is also Canadian, also did improv. <laughs> is, oh. it, is this like a Canadian thing? <laughs> it must be. Though I do feel like I mean, I feel like performers in Canada. That's the thing. It's like okay, Second City, you know, is there. You know, it's a great way to just kind of like step into that world. And I know, I mean, even in Quebec, they've got just for laughs up there. There's like a whole other scene for comedy, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just nice having those different opportunities and different classes that, you know, that you can get to and, and try to get your foot in the door. Do you have like a favorite improv scenario or like a prompt? Oh gosh. <laughs> oh God. I've, I mean, I've not done that in so long. It's funny. Yeah. So um, when we had SummerSlam in Toronto three, was that three years ago, two years ago, three years ago? I don't know when it was two or three years ago. My, my timeline is messed up, but we were in Toronto and I stayed up there for the summer. And, uh, my, I used to this other podcast called regular girls with my friend Stacy. And she was on like second city main stage. She is like a badass improviser comedian. She's incredible. But Sammy Zane was doing a show and we went out and did a show with him. Oh. And that was the first time I had done like any actual improv in a long time. And I was like, not ready. I was like, Oh shit, I've not done this in <laughs> so long what are we doing? How do we do this? Yeah. It was definitely funny to like poke my head back in there and be like, Oh, okay. This was great. Like fundamentals for me to learn performing, but I have not actually improvised in forever. Not in those terms so much anyways. Like give us a, a, what's our backdrop? What are we doing? Where are we going? Who are we to like set up those parameters? But it it was a lot of fun. It was fun to just like kind of throw myself back into the deep end. Sammy Zane's a good improviser, believe it or not. He's quite good. Yeah. He was fun to watch. I would think that he is. He seems yeah. like a natural. Yeah. Yeah. I guess not a believe it or not. I feel like you would believe that Sammy Zayn is a good improviser. I mean, the way he does his promos, you know that that's just him being him. It's great. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's got to build some sort of like, I mean, it's it, it's a courage builder, right? Because you're really sure. vulnerable if they're on the stage. And it's got to have helped your WWE broadcasting. You know, you've, you've got 
yeah, you've had unfiltered talking smack backstage. And, and I think you've really created this connection with wrestling fans. That's pretty unprecedented for on-air talent. I mean, thanks. It, it has a lot. It feels a lot like the connection that fans had with me and Jean. Why do you, why do you think- that's like the best compliment for me because I, <laughs> I love me and Jean so much. He was just the absolute best gem of a person. Do you, why do you think the connection so strong there between you and fans? Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I could like necessarily pinpoint it, but I, I think for me is like, uh, I, I guess just like a relatability, maybe mm-hmm. like people know that I love wrestling, that I respect the business of wrestling, um, without, I, I, I honestly, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. I think it's just that maybe my guard has been dropped the whole time and people really sure. feel like they know me. And I mean, I love that. I feel like that's the ultimate goal when you're trying to be a television personality is like, I'm not projecting to be somebody that I'm not. And I think people can feel that authenticity maybe uh, through, through the broadcasts or whether it's, they met me in person or through my social media or whatever, uh, is that I don't feel like people think I'm ever bullshitting them or, or trying to be something that I'm not. And I think that makes a connection maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'll take it, but I don't know what it is. Well, I can say personally, I find you as a role model because you are a woman in sports media. Right. And, and there's just, you don't often see women in high profile places. I mean, it's getting better, but especially wrestling media, I feel a connection with anyone that I can see on my TV like that. Yeah. Um, Would you say that there's improvement for when it comes to wrestling media? Absolutely. I mean, when I first started, I really was. I mean, aside from Lillian Garcia as an in-ring announcer, but I consider that like, you know, pretty different from what I was doing. She, you know, she had been in WWE for so long, but in terms of coming in with what I was doing, doing like the backstage interviews and hosting the kickoff shows to doing unfiltered and, you know, all the things that you had mentioned. um, Yeah, there really wasn't a ton of other women. I felt like I was kind of just doing my own thing for such a long time. And then, you know, you bring in other women, whether it's a Kathy Kelly, um, I think what Caleb, I think Caleb Braxton's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love watching her work. I think she's so great um, to having somebody like Charlie Caruso. I think it's just really opened the door for so many other women. And that's just WWE specific. Right. Um, but, you know, you look at what other women are doing, whether it's women jumping on commentary. I mean, Beth Phoenix is crushing it at NXT. I feel like she's done such an awesome job. And her and I started doing that roughly around the same time, but it was cool for us to be able to lean on each other a little bit and just kind of check in of like, Hey, this is what's going on with me right now. I don't know what's happening with you or how you're feeling about things (laughs) Um, to to now even being able to see what, what, um, what Maria Canales is doing over at ring of honor to what Mickey James is doing at NWA. Um, I think, I think what women are doing in wrestling is, you know, we've seen the tip of the iceberg with what we've been able to do within WWE with the women's evolution, but the rosters are so deep and so many different promotions have that depth in their roster for the women to really get out there and do their thing and, and be given the proper time to go out and do their thing. Um, and it's the same thing, I think, in terms of broadcasting to having women step out there and be, be trusted with the microphone. Yeah. And be trusted as an authority on the subject, um, rather than just being sort of like the eye candy, which is what they used to be. It's nice to be able to to kind of say it with our chest a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> and and that was something that I felt like I was able to do with doing the kickoff shows and uh, you know doing backstage with Fox. It was awesome to be able to 
to be the woman that, that, you know, really held down those shows and working with, with hall of famers and legends and to have those people be my friends and confidants and people that I could bounce ideas off of it. It just really made me feel like an equal within that world. I mean, not even just equal, like as a woman, but just equal in terms of being able to voice my opinion on, on things within wrestling or within uh, even just a production of the show of what we wanted to talk about and things that we wanted to do. It's nice to feel like my voice was really heard. Yeah. And, you know, I can speak on my, my personal experience. And then there's some uh, women in, in wrestling media, at least on the written side who have, who have spoken to me that there's this struggle, there's struggle to find open spots, struggle to find a fan base that isn't crazy sexist. (laughs) Did you ever? Unfortunately that follows us everywhere. Yeah. It's just a matter of leading that out. (laughs) Yeah. So you experienced some of that yourself. Oh my God, of course. I mean, listen, if it wasn't for quality filters on Twitter and, um, you know, turning off the comments on my Instagram, I mean, I would get roasted with that stuff with the best of them. Um, it, you know, mine came from different aspects too. I mean, whether it was just like being a woman on television that people feel like they want to, um, comment on things that you're saying, the way you're saying them, the way that you look, um, to, to also being married to a, a prominent wrestler. I mean, that comes with its own challenges as well, especially when it comes to social media and how people want to treat you and react to you. So I mean, there's good and there's the bad with that. I mean, it's definitely not all bad. There's a lot of positive that comes from all of those aspects, but yeah, sometimes just too many people get to voice their opinions to you. And, and that can be uh, a lot. It's, it's funny. Like I'll, I'll sometimes like I'll bitch to John about sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, this person said this mean thing about me. He's like, why are you even, cause he's not on social media like at all. Yeah. Good he's like, him. why are you even looking at that? He's like, it's like you gave people your phone number and you're just letting them have oh. this free access to you to, to be able to say these things to you. And it, it is true. I mean, you kind of open yourself up to that through social media, but we kind of need it for our job. So it's, right. it's finding a way to tune it out, finding a way to try to make it better. But I mean, yeah, there's definitely days that it's going to rock your confidence or they're going to strike a chord or maybe echo something that you were already kind of thinking about yourself. And then they just kind of amplify it. That, that can be the worst part of it. I mean, I really felt that when I was doing commentary and I was pretty insecure within that spot after, you know, after a couple of months, I first went into it and I felt very confident and I loved doing it. And then, you know, starting to get like some backlash or people didn't like what I was doing and that freaked me out. Because right. I also felt that way. So when I'm seeing other people like echo that, I'm like, oh my God, how do I get my footing back? Like that, that definitely kind of rocks my world a little bit. It's, yeah, you just got to find ways to tune that stuff out and stay the course and do your own job and not let these keyboard warriors get under your skin. Yeah. Cause I, if there's nothing that's going to support imposter syndrome more than Twitter. Oh my God. I know. Right. Honestly, yes. leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pivot to something even more gross. Um, so let's talk about <laughs> John Moxley and death matches. Oh, yeah. I have to know, know do you guy. watch the matches? Do you watch them? I watch everything. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I feel like I have to watch it because I I mean, I, I, I want to see what he's doing. It's his art. It's a thing that he loves to do. And he puts so much effort and creativity and physicality into everything that he does. 
that I want to see him take it over the finish line, but I also want to watch to make sure that he's okay. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the thing too. I'm like, I'm watching to be like, oh my God, what am I dealing with when he walks like back behind the curtain or by the time he flies back home, like what state is he going to be in and who are the people that he's working with? Are they going to be safe? What's, you know, it's yeah. I, I, but I do watch all of it. (laughs) Do you ever, yeah. Do you ever get used to the punishment? I mean, have you built that trust where it's like, I'm okay with this? Yeah. Yeah. I think I have. I mean, just in terms of like watching him. Yeah. Watching him just get back into that style of match and uh, just the physicality that comes with that, the injuries that can come with that. He, I mean, I, I trust that he knows what he's doing and he's so good at what he does. Um, it's yeah, it's just, it, but I mean, yeah, it could be something as simple as landing on something the wrong way or some kind of misstep or putting that trust into the other person as much as I can trust that I know that he is good at what he does. I want to make sure that the other people he's working with are, uh, at that same skill level so that he's not injuring himself more. So I, there, there's tons of different things to, to look at and worry about. I try not to stress myself out. Every now and then I'm like, all right, can we just slow it down? Can you just do a promo tonight? Let's just do a promo tonight. How about that? Just a regular How about match. You stop challenging people to these insane matches or accepting these insane matches. <laughs> Let's just slow it down. So I've already like warned him. I'm like, you're going to have to like, you have to explain this to our daughter, not me. That's <laughs> on you. Whew. I feel like Mick uh, Foley would be a really good, uh, yeah, you know, Mick Foley would be that. great for that. I actually yeah. thought I mess. I I would like. I need to have Mick Foley on oral sessions for yeah. sure. But I want to have his wife on oral sessions. I feel like her and I need to have a little powwow about what it's really like being married to uh to these deathmatch maniacs, oh. these hardcore kings. Yeah, and I I'm actually a pretty good friend of Mick Foley's, and he's yeah. I I know I know Colette does a ton of stuff for him. So. Yeah, I, I need to have Colette on the show. But yeah, I mean, definitely Mick for sure. But I'm like, I feel like him, my, him and his, or me and his wife, sorry, would have a great conversation. Yeah. And I feel like fans really dig the relationship between you and John. Like we have a, we have a new Cody and Brandy Rhodes show coming. Can we please have a Renee and John show? Is that, is that something that even John would want to do or that you would want to do? Is that something... Um, you know, no, we, we like often like joke about it. of like, Oh my God, we like a reality show for this. Or like, we, we'd be great on a reality show. But then when it actually, I think got down to like brass tacks, we'd be like, do we really want to do that? Right. It's a lot. I mean, yeah. I like watching those shows mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, especially when it's your friends on these shows, I mean, that makes it kind of more fun to watch. Like what are these maniacs doing? What's yeah. happening? Um, but it's a lot of work. I mean, when I was doing total divas for one season and like, it is, it's just crazy having a camera on you that often. It's, I just don't know that that's necessarily something that either one of us want to sign up for. Like, I'm not saying no, I feel like at, you know, within like certain parameters, I feel like the way, um, the way Ms. and Maurice have been able to do their show, they're so, um, they don't really get into too much nitty gritty, real personal stuff. Yeah, I think that's kind of nice. Obviously, it's a personal stuff that you want to watch. I mean, I love watching Total Bellas. Those girls put it yes. all out there. And yeah. that's what makes their show so damn good. It is like legitimately a great show. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just think like having the cameras like that, we've chosen to like keep our daughter off of social media and to try to like keep cameras out of her face as much as possible. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe somewhere down the line, maybe we can be like Chip and Joanna Gaines. Maybe we can like have some kind of a concept oh. where we're doing something, dad, and that could be like the kind show. Of show we're doing. Yeah, yeah, something like that would be maybe more up our alley. That means we have to like discover some other kind of skill set that we have. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is yet, but <laughs> maybe we'll just become house flippers. Who knows? Oh my god, there you go. Who um, knows? So- Put his ass to work. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Cause I know, you know, we're going on 30 minutes and you're busy. Um, I just want to congratulate you on becoming a U.S. citizen. I'm sure Thank that process you. is super hard, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's just, just a lot of work. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of waiting. And, you know, for me having different visas to having like, you know, the visas that I had within WWE to then getting my green card. And then once I got my green card, and actually, I mean, especially now having a baby, I'm like, wait, I can't have my baby just be American and I'm not. What? <laughs> right. So yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to knock all that stuff out. And you just get tired of doing all the paperwork to have to like renew your green cards. I mean, that's good oh. for 10 years. So, I mean, it's a lot of time, but it's just so much work that I'm like, I'm, I don't plan. I mean, I love Canada. I would love to spend more time in Canada, but sure. we'll still, we'll always be living in the United States. So it's just easier for me to become an American citizen ditch all that paperwork. And, uh, now I, I now I'll be able to vote for the next go around. I missed it this time, but next one I'll be able to vote. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. It's, it's, I never in a million years would have thought that I'd become an American citizen. Like I knew I wanted to live in America. Yeah. I didn't think that becoming a citizen, that just wasn't even like in my brain. It wasn't an option for me. So now, yeah, now I I've got it all. I okay. have to get my passport still. I still just have my Canadian passport. So I need to get oh. my U S passport done. That's next on the docket. Then I'll be done with paperwork. <laughs> Maybe, right? Hopefully. I mean, child, right? <laughs> well, I actually do. I need to get her Canadian citizenship and then I get her a passport. So when I do oh. my passport, I'll do hers at the same time because I need to bring her to Canada. Yeah. I don't want her to not, you know, know about her roots and not spend okay. time in Canada. So I'll okay. definitely be uh, taking her across the border pretty often. Well, that's awesome. We can't yeah. wait to see what you do next, Renee. I really appreciate it again. You. The time that you're taking here. Um, and and I'm excited to write this interview, frankly. Yay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you guys thinking about me for this. And uh, yeah, it's been great chatting to you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, have a good rest of your day. You too. I'll talk to you soon. 